This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for coming round again. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. What's shaking, cats and kittens? Welcome to the OKC Show. I am your host, Jason Baffrey. It is a pleasure to be here with you. Remember, you can uh, check out our programs at oklahomatalking.co. You can also find us on iTunes, and you can even set it up to where it like downloads automatically right onto your smartphone. How cool is that? Just search for OKC Show in the iTunes uh, podcast store, and you can find us along with our other podcasts, including Dream OK. We are also on Spreaker, which is a cool little app that you can get on your smartphone and Overcast, if you use that particular app. So check it out and go to oklahomatalking.co and uh, listen to all of the other great programs that we have. I'm very excited about the show today and frankly a little bit nervous because my guest today is in fact a professional speaker where I just uh, sometimes claim to be one, but uh, Rhett Laubach joins us in the studio today and if you haven't heard his name specifically, he is a professional speaker, he's an author, he does presentations all around the country, around the world. He specializes in leadership, especially youth leadership, and uh, has really made quite a career for himself and uh, just a great, great guy. Uh, And I can say that because we first met several years ago as we both attended Leadership Edmund, and uh, he was just uh, just a great guy that stood out to me in that particular grouping. And there were, I shouldn't say that, there were a lot of great people in that particular class, but uh, like I said, I, I consider myself uh, somewhat of a speaker, but Rhett does it for real, and he's the guy that's got it on his card, professional speaker. His business is Your Next Speaker. You can go to his website, Your Next Speaker dot com and you can uh, book him or see where he's going to be speaking and like i said he does a lot of stuff around the state around the country he's been to 48 states he's been to the bahamas he's been to canada so welcome to the okc show rhett Lawbuck. thank you jason thanks for having me buddy that was a great introduction is it good yeah well uh, i feel better already then <laughs> if you ever want to go on the road just let me know i'm ready anytime <laughs> so one of the strange questions that you probably get asked is, so you're a professional speaker? What what do you what does that mean? What yeah. do you do? So Well, there's actually some people that have called us looking for actual speakers for like their house in the <laughs> past. And so once we get past that, um, that I don't sell speakers, uh, yeah, it's at least not that a, kind. Not yes, exactly, not that kind. Um it's just, you know, it, it's a complicated answer. I mean, the short, you know, the short version is that I was in a student organization in high school called FFA, Future Farmers of America is what that used to be called. I grew up on a pig farm in Laverne, Oklahoma, population 1,000, northwest Oklahoma. And um, that organization is heavy in competitive events, including giving presentations. And so that's where I got started in high school. As a college student at Oklahoma State University, spent two years as a state officer in FFA and just developed a skill 
and a passion for it and then turn it into a business. My first company was Lawbuck Motivationals. Had little green cards back in the early 90s yeah. in college. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. I had no well, idea. You obviously did something right because you've been doing it for uh, about 20 years now. Yeah, went full time in 1999. So just took the leap. I think uh, we had about $5,000 uh, in contracts booked. And we said, yeah, that'll that'll carry us through the year. Let's just take the leap. And that was from some good advice from uh, some friends of mine who were who were professional speakers at that point. And they said, hey, you just got to take the leap. You got to quit your day job. You got to take the leap. You got to wait tables, do whatever you got to do, which I actually did. Whenever Ashley, my wife, and I got married in 2000, had to wait tables for a year just to uh, you know get food on the table until you just developed enough enough clients and enough uh, you know presentation experience to where you could go out and and keep going full time. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And so now you've gone from uh, doing presentations for uh, large FFA events and and other student things, but you do corporate speaking, uh, and and so you really run the gamut on on what you do as far as leadership training and motivational speaking. Right. So whenever I got started in full time in '99, it was 100% student programs, speaking in high schools, speaking at leadership conferences, and over the years, as you age, as exp- as you get more expertise and experience, then you become more hireable by corporations, companies, professional associations. And I spend about half my time now speaking at um, you know annual meetings, at uh, trainings for, for companies, professional associations, a lot of them at their annual meetings, they hire me. I spend about half my time there. I'll do about 150 presentations this year. And that's, wow. that's the pace I've been at for, for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. So when you were uh, growing up in Laverne, Oklahoma, working the pig farm, and I mean, was your goal to get out and be a professional speaker, or did it just uh, well? The manifest? goal was to get out. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, that was the goal. <laughs> because you know, it's funny, Jason, because whenever I was in school at Oklahoma State, there was in the ag college, ag econ is my is my degree. There were some of my friends who were moving back to or were moving to Laverne, Oklahoma, because there was a corporate pig operation that opened up and they were hiring college grads. Well, nobody moved. You don't move to a place like Laverne unless you're from there, right? Uh, or unless there's a very unique situation just because the size of it. And so that was a very interesting thing. But my dad was an ag teacher, an FFA advisor at the local high school. And they moved from Laverne in 95 when he retired. They live in God's country. Uh, that's Stillwater, okay. um, and uh, they've lived there for about ten years. And so I just we just don't make it back to Laverne very often. But no, I I didn't know until probably whenever I was at OSU as an FFA state officer that first of all that you could make a business out of it, and second of all that I was at the point where it was something that I really loved enough and felt like I wanted to do it full time. Yeah. So, yeah. What is it that you that you love about that? I mean, I I know there's a certain thrill that comes with getting on stage in front of in front of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you go out and you um, essentially perform in front of Absolutely. 500, 1,000, 10,000 people. You know, there's a rush from that. Probably not like you would get from being a professional wrestler or something to that. But I mean, yeah, less physical th- contact. Right. But there there is something <laughs> that comes from that. But I suspect with you that, that you get more out of it than, than just the, the right. thrill. 
thrill of the performance. Well, there definitely is a thrill of it, which is fun. That's something that when you, because as you and I've talked about, I play the guitar and have used to be in a band and have performed many times on stage in a band, there's just this rush that you get that you just don't get in any other form or fashion. Yeah. You, know, you just can't do it. And so, yes, that is a very satisfying part of it. But because of the nature of what I'm doing on stage, which is I am teaching people lessons about how to be a better leader, how to be a better person, how to be a better strategic thinker or goal setter, whatever it is, and I do a lot of presentation skills coaching as well, because of the nature of what I do, that really, I dig that. You know, my dad was a teacher. My mother was a nurse. I mean, I just grew up in a household where where you served people. I mean, that's what you do. You take care of people professionally and in your personal life. And so when you combine both of those, right, I get you get the rush of you know, being in that group, leading a group, you know, being on stage, right, combined with – that afterwards someone comes up and says, hey, Rhett, man, I needed that message today. I mean, I did a program for the Oklahoma Department of Transportation back in, back in March, and this, this guy came up afterwards. He was in his 50s. I saw him during the program. This room full of about 300 people, right? And uh, I saw him, and he was into the program because my program is very interactive, a lot of discussion, a lot of activities. And I, and I could tell he was one of those guys that just probably keeps to himself a lot. It's a Department of Transportation group, so there was a lot of blue-collar, a lot of guys in the room over 50, you know, just that mentality of, hey, I'm not going to go to a cheesy motivational program. Right. But he came up afterwards, and he, and he said to me, and I could tell he, it took something for him to come up to me, and he said, Rhett, I needed to hear your message today. I'm a guy who, and it was a it was it was a program about how to love going to work, right? How not to just have a job, how how to love your work. He said, "I haven't loved my work for many months, but I'm glad I was here today because I need to." It's that type of stuff, you know. It's moments like that 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 really, I mean, get me fired up. Yeah, that makes it all rewarding. Absolutely, uh, yeah, because it's because it was rewarding to him. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, and it's good that you get that kind of feedback and and can touch mm-hmm. people in that in that way. Too. Yeah. I mean, not just hey, that was entertaining, but hey, you've you've made a change in my right. life, or I I am now inspired to make a change in my life. Right. Either way, um, you're you're creating action there. I think. Yeah. So that's good. And the entertainment part is very important because it's almost like one of my good speaking buddies. He says, when you get them laughing, you've got them listening. Yeah. Right. It's very difficult for someone to laugh at something you're saying without them having already listened to you. Right. And so the entertainment part is actually a very important part. We don't call it entertainment. We call it engagement. Right. 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 But when you when you entertain as a speaker, as a trainer, no matter how serious your content is, the purpose why we do that is so that then we've got attention. Now, of course, the secret is what are you going to do with the attention? Are you going to make the most of it, right? You can teach something valuable, something worthwhile, something that they're looking for. Yeah, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, how have you grown your skills? Not not your speaking skills, but obviously you've had to learn some additional things in in the methods of of training, uh, specific leadership skills that have come along the way. I mean, how has that transpired for you? I mean, it's not additional college courses. No. Um, so, what have you done there? So, two things. First of all. 
there is an organization called the National Speakers Association. Okay, it's our professional association. And the Oklahoma Speakers Association is has been healthy and rich for a number of years. And so 15 years ago, when I was first thinking about leaving my day job, which I worked at Oklahoma State University in the alumni office, I got paid to play golf with alumni and go to football games. It was horrible. I yeah, hated it. sounds like a terrible job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I started going to Oklahoma Speakers Association's monthly meetings. And the whole purpose of that is not is not as much to learn how to be a better speaker, but how to learn how to be a better uh, business owner and how to get better in some skills, but really, as a speaker, you got to be good at two things. You got to be good on the platform, and you also got to be good at getting to the platform. Right. Right. So that was invaluable training, invaluable lessons. Right. And it was just full of just a room full of sixty people that want to help one another. So that was the first thing. Starting from the very first, and even today. It is a core group of three or four individuals that we all lean on one another. Matter of fact, my annual golf trip is coming up at the end of this month, and it's Kelly Barnes, Bill Cordes, Dustin Gallion, three of my best friends in the world. Kelly's full-time speaker lives in Norman. Bill, full-time speaker, lives in uh, Lawrence, Kansas. And Dustin Gallion is just one of those guys that, you know, is great at everything, right? Just makes you – just. Just makes you hate him a little bit, right? <laughs> he's just naturally great at everything. And he's getting into the speaking world. And we're getting together at the end of the month to play some great golf. But each evening, we've already got homework that one of us has sent out that said, hey, what's your new workshop that you're working on? What's your new keynote? What's your biggest challenge that you're having right now with your business? And so we take these moments, not just based around golf, but we take these moments and we ask questions, we listen, we share advice. Bill's 10 years my senior. He's my mentor in the business. Kelly's 10 years my junior. So is Dustin. I was Kelly's mentor in the business when he got started. And that's so vital, you know, because because we are in a very siloed business. Yeah. I'm the only one that goes to the event, right? Bill, when he goes speaks, he's at a different event, right? He, his office is his house. My office is my house. And so we, it's not like we come to the same brick-and-mortar building every day and have this natural collaboration environment. we got to create it, right? And a lot of entrepreneurs have to do that, or a lot of people that live in this type of business. Well, and I think it's fantastic that, I mean, you are you're working with a mentor, but then you're giving back into the generation behind you to Absolutely. bring up the next set of speakers. And, and that's what I think that we have to do. I mean, we have to learn from um, not our elders necessarily, but the people that have been doing things longer than we have. Right. I mean, we can always learn more, but then to give that back to somebody else and bring somebody else along uh, is, it, I think, makes society work better, in my opinion. That's the only way it should work. I mean, whenever I'm taught something, I have two responsibilities. Use it and share it. Yeah. If I don't do both of those, then I then I shouldn't have got it in the first place. I wasn't worth getting it, right? When Bill teaches me something, he's taught me just hundreds of things about how to engage an audience, how to run a good business. I need to use, put to application what he's taught me, right? And then I also need to, when asked, when available, I need to share that with others. Because that's the thing a lot of people – and I get this question a lot, Jason – when someone approaches you about how to be a speaker or how to get into it, how much do you tell them, right? Because it's competitive, True. right? And I say, as a professional speaker, I want other people to be good speakers. I want them to be great. 
because if Jason hires me to speak at his event and I don't do a good job, you're going to be less likely to hire another professional speaker. You're not going to want to spend that money again, right? right? But if you hire me and I knock it out of the park, right? I mean, I point when I'm walking down stage going, I'm going yard on this one, right? And I deliver, you're more likely to hire another speaker next year. So I want good speakers out there. So so that drives this just natural sense of charity and contribution and service to people even that next year I may not get an event mm-hmm. because someone who I have helped got it instead. I'm cool with that. Totally cool with that. Yeah, good attitude. Yeah. So after 20 years of uh, doing this work, um, going out, teaching people how to live a better life, be motivated, be strategic thinkers, it was uh, last year, August, I believe, that you ran into a challenge in your life that you had to start implementing the principles that you've been teaching. So. Yeah, August of last year, I was uh, playing golf with some of my buddies in in Edmond at Kicking Bird Golf and Country Club. We were golfing at Kicking Bird because it's not very expensive. We all have children, and yeah. we must. <laughs> yeah, play. I know how it is. Yeah, exactly. And something was wrong with my eyesight. And the short the short version of the story is that my eye doctor saw hemorrhaging in my optic nerves, sent me straight to Mercy, off of Kilpatrick Turnpike. I had a CAT scan, and what they found was I had a tennis ball-sized brain tumor. Mm. Um, and I, I was 40 years old at that point. And, I mean, I'm one of those guys, Jason. I mean, I've, I've had stitches twice in my life. Both of them were my fault. Um, and I tore my meniscus skiing dangerously in Colorado. Other than that, I mean, I haven't broken a bone in my body, haven't had any major health issues. Yeah. I can't imagine how you respond. If you were feeling healthy, you have vision problems, and then they're like, you got a tumor. Yeah, yeah. What's, how do you respond to that? Shock. Yeah. I mean, that's the. I mean, I've, I've told this story, obviously, a million times. It's been almost a year. It'll be a year, August 26. Um, shock, and then, of course, uh, Ashley and I are, are, are Christian, and, uh, and so we went straight to prayer. The first person that we saw was the ER doctor that gave us the news. The second person we saw was another ER doctor who goes to church with us at Henderson Hills Baptist in Edmond. And he, he came in because he was on duty, and he wanted to pray over us. And he, he cried throughout the whole prayer. And this is a big man, right? Dr. Lance Watson. He's one of those guys that you're glad he's Christian because he could kill you with his thumb. Like, he's huge. He's like 6'5", right? just the nicest guy in the world, but he cried through the prayer. Now, this is an ER doctor. Right. right? He yeah. sees the worst of the worst all the time. Absolutely. And, and so when he, when when we said amen, I was like, well, Lance, do you, do you need to tell us something? Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, not exactly encouraging right. when your doctor is crying. <laughs> right, exactly. But, you know, he, he, uh, he told us exactly what we needed to hear, uh, which was, hey, we don't know enough yet. We'll find out. But, man, you know, we're praying for you. And uh, and God God has you know it's in His plan, and so I you know I'm I'm one of those people, and I have a good friend Jason that that said this is one thing he appreciated about Ashley and I through the whole tumor experience is that we we went to God first, and then after that then we uh, we didn't make too too much of a big deal out of it. 
right? We didn't cause a bunch of drama. We didn't ask for, you know, things that were unrealistic. But at the same time, we didn't minimize it. We didn't say, oh, we'll be okay, right? I mean, you, you got a brain tumor, right? It, we never, you don't know how it's going to turn out. And so we responded in proportion to what, what was right in front of us at each moment of the way. And that first, that first three days was just, I mean, I was heavily medicated after, after the first couple of hours with, the, with about five different things. And anyone that's listening that has been in a situation like this knows that many times the medicine is more difficult on you yeah. than the actual condition. But it was, it was, it was just shock. And then be be uh, grateful that it wasn't something worse. And then let's just take it one step at a time, literally, like textbook, one step at a time. So at, at this point, they they tell you, but I mean, how long? I mean, I'm sure there was a a, a barrage of testing that you could had to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what was the the timeline that they gave you? I mean, yeah. was it like you know you've got this tumor and you've got X amount of time to live, or we have to do a right. bunch of tests and it's going to take six months for us to figure out what this is? How how did that all play out? Well, I mean, the first thing was the cat scan, which if you've ever had one or seen one, it's not the most precise imagery in the world, right? They could tell that it was there. So the next thing that needed to happen, which happened that night, was the MRI. And from the MRI, then they can tell, which is very precise, right, imagery, they can tell pretty pretty much what type of tumor it is. Then they'll know what's the, what's the steps. So they did the MRI that night and actually graduated with 36 people from Laverne, Oklahoma, one of those 36 I've known since we were five, his name's Dr. Jess Armour. He's an oncologist mm. at Mercy, a cancer expert. Wow. I mean, what's, right, what's the chances, right? So he was there to tell Ashley primarily all of the direct news. And what he told Ashley after the MRI, as well as the, the person, Dr. Eric Friedman, that was potentially going to be our neurosurgeon, that from the MRI, they could tell that I had what was called what is called a meningenoma, and that 95% of the time they are benign. And there's 140 different types of brain tumors, in case it comes up in jeopardy. Really? Yeah. And some of these are like spider webs in the brain. They are not operable, most of them, and a lot of them are um, malignant. Um, and then there are, are types that are like the one that I had that are separate from the brain, although they're in the same apartment, right? And those are more easily taken out, and many times those are benign. Now, they don't know until they have the surgery and have a biopsy, right? And so that, the timeline on that was just how quickly we could find the right team to do it because Mercy couldn't do it because most of my tumor, which I call my tumor Wilson, by the way, because of it was tennis ball tennis size, ball size yeah. so yeah. And when I talk about my tumor in the program, I have a Wilson tennis ball, which with you me, have with which you. I, yes, I brought you a Wilson. You get you get to have my tumor. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Merry Christmas. Early. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, part of part of Wilson was was up close to the skull behind my left eye, which is why there was hemorrhaging in my in my optic nerves. But part of part of him was down in a lower part of my brain also. And so we had to find the right team to take it out. So as soon as that could happen, which happened three days after I turned 41, September 24th of last year, then a week goes by, you have a biopsy, then the answer to your question comes in. 
based off of whether it's malignant or benign, will determine how long this is going to last and what the steps are going to be. Fortunately for us, we found a team down in Dallas, UT Southwestern, Dr. Sam Barnett and his team took six hours, September 24th of last year, and got all of Wilson out, took him out. Went straight down from the top of my skull. I've got a little bit larger than a 50-cent piece, coin size piece of titanium up there now. And uh, and we went back for a follow-up MRI three days before Christmas, and Wilson's still gone. So they did a phenomenal job. That's Took great. Out, and we found out that Wilson was benign. Yeah. So at that point, it is recovery from the trauma of the surgery and from my eyesight because I couldn't drive for 15 weeks. Um, my wife drives like Danica Patrick, so we got places really fast, <laughs> which was nice. Yeah, but I uh, couldn't. I couldn't drive 15 weeks. I was off work for 80 days, which is tough because you're self-employed and you yep. you are yep. you are your product. Yep, absolutely. That makes things a little rough. Right. I weighed almost 300 pounds because I've been a big guy for a number of years anyway. But I was on steroids for three months, which make you want to eat everything. So I did. So I did. And uh, and so my my health was well, at that point. I mean, after you've had a tennis ball taken out of your head, yeah. why not eat everything? Yeah, I know. You're like, let's celebrate. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, life is good. So how long the recovery for me? Because the my surgeons were so amazing. Because my tumor was benign. It was a it was a matter of how much effort am I going to put in to getting back to a new normal, right? And that's where, you know this application of all these lessons that I've been teaching people about how to overcome failure and to, uh, you know, give your best that I've been teaching for years. That's where it really, I mean, it was, it was time for me to say, all right, brother, go to work. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little more about that. I mean, as we've mentioned, I mean, 20 years of doing this work, motivational speaking, leadership training, strategic thinking, you find out that you have a tennis ball-sized tumor in your head. You are, you are a Christian, so you have your faith. But, I mean, at some point, I have to think that all of that gets tested. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't – because the most important things are relationships, relationship with God, relationship with family, relationship with friends, relationship with yourself. And all of those relationships were, were under stress. They were immediately put under stress. How do I feel about myself? How do I feel about my people who are around me? How do I feel about my family? How do I feel about my relationship with God? And all those relationships were stressed. And what I learned is that I, as a 40-year-old and then a 41-year-old, I have been doing a lot of things right because through all that stress – there was glory to God. There was family. My my wife, Ashley, is the most remarkable person on this planet because what she did to help me get back to a new normal and to get us through that with our three little girls, we have three young daughters, 10, 8, and 4, is just – I just can't describe it. I mean, I've tried to for, for, for days and months, and I just can't describe it. And, the, and our friends – coming to our rescue. I mean, I wish we had three hours right now to talk about how, how my how Ashley and I's friends just came and just just loved on us. And they did so many things that I wouldn't even have imagined that they would do. And just because 
that's who they are, and that's the type of relationship that we have. And so all of those things were tested and tried and weighed and measured, and I am, I am sitting at this table right now saying that God didn't give me Wilson, but God allowed Wilson to be in my life to – I lost a, a tumor, but I gained a, just an unbelievable new perspective on how valuable all of these relationships are in my life, and now it's given just an amazing amount of power to my message that I that I teach to people. Yeah. How has your perspective changed from before till now? Yeah. yeah. The biggest thing is that as I've been teaching these lessons in the past, I've be- I've I've believed them, but I haven't had a conviction about them. So there's a difference between having a commitment to something and having a conviction about it. Commitment says, I will say and I will know that, that, that I'm on something's side and that I believe in something. A conviction says, I believe it and my actions will reflect that no matter what, right? My actions before Wilson – most of them were what I hope my girls would grow up to act like. But there were still many that I was not – I wasn't being the best man that I should have been. As a business person, as a husband, as a Christian, as a friend, I led a lot of things. You know, um, I, I continued to do behavior that, that, I sh- that I shouldn't have been doing. Or I wasn't behaving in a way that I should. Wilson – has changed my perspective about, hey, brother, you got to be convicted about these things that you teach and about the things that I believe in that you must act accordingly no matter what happens to you. An example, uh, we ask our girls to ask for forgiveness to one another when they you know, do something wrong, whatever it may be, right? I was never good at asking for forgiveness whenever I would get too angry with my girls, Sure, right? I do that now. I sit down and say, hey, Addison, daddy shouldn't have used those words whenever my, I let my temper get the best of me. Will you please, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? I tell you, Jason, it is unbelievable, the response, just the natural gratitude that, that they have whenever daddy is able to do that. And that is from a new perspective on, on that, if I'm going to teach it, I need to be doing it when it's easy and when it's not. And it's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I'm glad I got a tumor. Tweet yeah, that. Yeah, you don't yeah. have, you don't hear that often. <laughs> and I mean, no. quite frankly, I mean, I've lost, unfortunately, two uh, friends that have had brain tumors and, and didn't, yeah. didn't make it through. And I mean, as you mentioned earlier, there's a number of different kinds of brain tumors, apparently. But mm-hmm. did they give you, uh, I mean, statistics or, I mean, did you really cheat death with this? I mean, how did that or, or was this the – Yeah, yeah know, that's how, a good question. How did that work out? Well, it's a good question. I mean, Dr. Armour, my friend from, from Laverne, who's the oncologist at Mercy, that first day before the MRI told, told Ashley, based off of what we know, you need to prepare yourself that this could be advanced brain cancer based off of the information that I'm looking at. And the reason why he did that was because he knows that we're Christian. He was really giving Ashley something specific to pray about. Sure. Right? 
and to prepare her for what news may come the next day after the MRI, right? But when you get a tumor, tumors exist for two reasons. They exist to grow and to kill cells. That's, that's their whole purpose, right? And anytime you get a tumor, whether it's in your brain, whether it's in your lung, whether it's in your foot, you never know. And um, I've heard, as you can imagine, I got back to work first part of November last year. I have heard so many stories of individuals in my, in my audience and, and friends and family of people who have friends just like just like yours that have died from tumors or that have died from cancer and those that like like me have survived. And so in terms of the percentages you never know. Just like they don't know why Wilson was there. Yeah. Right? It was he was f- probably 15 years old. Probably just been growing slowly for years. Yeah, and just to reset for everybody, in case you're for some reason tuning in in the middle of the show, Wilson is the name of the yes. tumor based on its size, which was the size of a Wilson tennis ball, which That's we're, right. we're looking at right here. So. Exactly right, and so and so in terms of like I didn't do a bunch of a, a bunch of that type of research. Like I didn't, I I never Googled how likely am I to live? Yeah, you didn't go to WebMD and look no. at it. <laughs> no. Again, there. when you're in that type of situation, there are literally, like there wasn't a single doctor that said, hey, Rhett, why don't you just come back in six to eight weeks yeah. and we'll check you out. I mean, urgency was applied. And so there were, I had the experts there that were going to give me the news that I needed. I didn't sure. need to go find stuff on my own. Yeah. Right? And so in terms of all those actual percentages, I don't know. But I'll tell you this much, when you're, when when it's a year later, and you only weigh 225 pounds because your tumor convinced you, hey, it's time to start working out and eating right and lose weight. Uh, it's time to get that blood pressure under control. When your relationships are stronger than ever before, I don't care what my percentage of what the chances are that I should be here today. I don't care about that percentage. What I care about is there's a 100% chance that my life is better because of how I was taught to respond to challenges. Just so happened this was a pretty big one. Yeah. yeah. Right? That's, That's the percentage, the percentage that, I that I care about. So you were, as you mentioned, you got up to 300 pounds or nearly 300 pounds. Uh, you're sitting here today. You look like you're about 28. Uh, you are in better shape than when I knew you mm-hmm. uh, back in, what was that, 2005, yep. something like right. that. Um, so, I mean, Talk about the the mental change that you you took there and, and what you've had to do. Yeah, and and was, was it, it was it required or was it something well. you just decided? <laughs> this is what I'm going to do now. Required by who exactly? Well, right. I mean, yes, the doctors absolutely knew that I needed to. I mean, when you when you have someone like me that goes through that, there's and then you come out of it through a tumor experience. There's certain things that you have to do health wise just to recover from the trauma, the surgery, and the medicine. But then there's also there's there's things that you know as a doctor there's things this individual should be doing just to get healthy again right but i as as i was preparing for our chat i was looking back over a lot of the notes that i took uh, from the doctors right after the surgery and their recommendation for physical activity right was to get a quarter of a mile a day that i should walk that okay when I could barely do that, Jason. And that wasn't even because of the tumor and the surgery. That was just because I was a big guy. Right. And I hadn't exercised intentionally for five, six years. Sure. Right? 
So in April, I decided it was time for me to start going to work, and I just made the decision. There's something – it's conviction. you got to be convicted about it. Conviction is belief plus action. And so I got myself some running shoes, and I've put on 250 miles of anywhere from heavy power walking at first, light power walking – no, no power, power involved, involved in the walking at first. <laughs> Just, Just one, one foot, foot after, after the other. other. Yeah. To I my my short runs are five Ks and my long runs are ten Ks. Wow. That's that's that's, that's where I'm at now. And it took just deciding to say, I'm this is what I'm gonna do, and there's an absolute phenomenal reason for it. I wanna see my girls whenever they are forty, fifty years old. I wanna live that long. But I gotta I gotta go to work. And so when you ask what do you have to do mentally, you just have to decide that it's worth it. Then you got to know what to do. And I, I got counsel there, and I got great counsel about what I should be eating, what I should stop eating. Clearly, it's just stop eating as much, but then what you do put in, how much physical exercise um, should I be getting, and and once you sustain a good plan, then it's going to work. That's the good thing about your body. What you put in, you're going to know, Yeah. right? right. What you do with it, you're going to be able to tell, right? And I get so much joy out of being able to – the main reason why I don't like walking in my closet now is is because I don't have enough clothes that are small enough, you know? <laughs> I enjoy that. Yeah. That would be a good problem to have. That, that is a good problem to have because I haven't been in that situation for a long time. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> so what, at this point, a year later, what are the, are the doctors saying? You're, you're good. You don't have to worry. I mean, you need to stay in, in shape and keep doing what you're doing, but you don't have to. This isn't a concern, or is this something that you have to continually watch now? So the, life, the only maintenance or monitoring – the only monitoring uh, tumor-related is Ashley and I will go down to Dallas every uh, Christmas and get an MRI. I will get an MRI every year for probably 20 years. And I don't know if you've ever been in an MRI machine. Have you? Fortunately, no. Okay. Well, it's a big tube. They jam me in it. Right. I will fit in it now easier this year than last. And it's about 30 minutes of atomic bombs going off every 30 seconds to 15 seconds. It is the it is the it is one of the worst things to be in. Yeah, that's what I've heard. They give you headphones so you can listen to music. And I and and when asked down in Dallas, who do I want to listen to? I picked, and I'd and I'd make you guess, but we don't know quite each other well enough musically yet. But we yeah. will. Yeah. Uh, I picked Frank Sinatra. I said, oh, I said, give me some old blue. Eyes. I was going to say Pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I need something a little softer, a little, uh, yeah, just a little calmer. And so Frank sang me through that first MRI. Well, that was my third MRI at that point. But so I will do that every year as a is Wilson back. Um, and other than that, it's just health maintenance that any person should be should be doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so that's that's great. I mean, um, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you're here to be able to tell to tell this story. So, how do you approach now when you go out and because you're back on your speaking tour, you're back in 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 the swing of things, but. Has your message changed? Has the way you deliver your message changed? So 
the way that I deliver my message hasn't changed. Uh, it's still equal balance, wit, uh, interaction with the audience, solid content. Uh, what has changed is Wilson, the story about my tumor, is in every single program. Yeah. And how much he's there depends on how much time I've got. And because of that Wilson's in my message now, what has changed is the response and the power of this, the response that I get back from people. My job is to engage an audience such that they're ready to receive a message. Most times it's a leadership message, right? Wilson and the, and, and, and the utility, if you will, of the Wilson story in terms of in my job is that it allows people to, to be more disarmed. Because here's a guy who had a tennis ball-sized brain tumor, and look at how he's responded to it, and look at how he did respond to it. Because what I tell Jason is everybody's got a Wilson. Yeah. Everybody's got something that exists for two purposes, to grow and to kill things, right? For, for most people, it is habits they shouldn't have. It is uh, ways that they uh, interact with the people in their life. They hold jealousy. They hold grudges. They're mean, whatever. That, those are the Wilsons that, that most of us have and that I have, right? And the difference between my Wilson in that my tumor and most people's Wilsons, including my other ones, um, is that there's not urgency to act on our Wilsons in our everyday life. Yeah. If I have a bad habit, I've got to decide to make that change, right? Remember what I said a couple of minutes ago, not a single doctor said, hey, Rhett, come back in six to eight weeks and we'll work on your brain tumor. Sure. Right? They said, let's go to work. Yeah. So when you ask, how has my message changed? How has the way I do my work changed? That's what's changed. That, con- that, that piece of content right there allows an audience to really be ready to make the most of this, what sometimes can be a very uh, you know, cheesy, manufactured out of thin air type experience, which is listen to a speaker talk to us or a training, right? You know, like teacher in services, education staff in services. I love doing those because a lot of people walk in with iPads and newspapers and magazines expecting this to suck like an airplane toilet, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like they would rather watch grass die sure. than be in this type of program. The iPads, the newspapers, the books, they don't get touched. And I love that. Yeah, that's great. Because we create a moment where it's a memory because of the style of my programs, but it's a memory that makes a difference more now because of Wilson than before. Yeah. So what are some keys that people can take away from this that, uh, as you mentioned, we all have our Wilsons. It may be uh, a health issue. It may be a financial issue. Um, Right. I, I, I was talking with uh, a friend yesterday who was going through a lot, both um, with health and business finances, things like that. And and this is a person who is a Christ follower. And uh, but you, you get to that point where you're just like, what is going on? I mean, how much more can can I take? Uh, and. and you know, get me out of this, please. And and so, what what have you learned through this that you can you give to other people for advice or encouragement in dealing with their Wilsons, whatever they may be? Well, you got to know what it is, 
And I don't mean that you got to know what it is in that, like your friend, whatever they're cha- whatever they're struggled, struggling with, they may think that the source is one thing when really the source is another thing that they're not wanting to look at. They're wanting to avoid. Um, and so you've got to go through an exercise of self-awareness. Mine was easy with my Wilson, my tumor, because it was there. We know what to go to work on. But you got to know what to go to work on. A lot of relationship problems are like that. You think that the relationship problem is that your mom doesn't understand you, right, as a teenager. Sure. When the real problem there is that you haven't – you're not at a place where you're mature enough to really understand the power of what she's saying. And that's the challenge. It is that you've got to be willing to grow up a little bit. Then all of a sudden, like the old saying goes, uh, whenever I turned 25, my my parents became old, became way smarter than they were before. Yeah, it's funny how that works. Yeah, and it wasn't a change on their end. It right. was because I grew up, right? So you, so so how how do you do that? How do you get really self aware? Well, it depends on what the Wilson is, right? The second thing is you got to be willing to learn what do I really have to do? What are the struggles I got to take? I got a good friend that needed to make a change in his life. It wasn't going to change until he was willing to go through all of the garbage that he was going to have to go through for that change to happen. Till he was willing to go through the struggles, the real struggles that change creates. Then he was going to stay in the – that Wilson was going to be in his life forever, okay? And what does that take? Well, f- for me, f- with my health, Wilson, with my tumor, I didn't have a choice. I had to go through it. There was going to be a surgery. It was going to take out. It was not going to be fun, and I was not going to be able to drive for 15 weeks, right? For most of us, though, we can choose to say, I don't want to go through those struggles to make the change, and we can choose to just keep whining about it. Right, so you got to you got to find whatever it is. The you got to find the strength to say, "I'm going to go through that. It's going to hurt, and it's going to hurt bad, but it's but but it's not going to hurt forever, because I I can control that change to a certain degree." Yeah. Right, and then the third thing is is that, you know, on the other side of this Wilson, it says what I've written on it, which is live to serve. Right, it says live to serve. In every Wilson tennis ball that I take to my programs, it says live to serve. Because the biggest lesson, whether the Wilson, meaning the challenge you're going through in your life, is yours or someone around you, is that many times when we have Wilsons, when we have struggles and we have challenges, we don't have the strength to go to work on them because we don't have service in our life. Because all we're doing is whining and complaining and focusing on ourselves, and we don't have the resources available to even do the first two that I just said. Sure. Right? And our job is to serve people and to, and to help people in whatever way that is. And what happens, Jason, it's magical. What happens is people will reveal to us what our real struggles are. We will learn more about ourselves by helping others. And secondly, we will then be able to have the energy and the motivation and the joy and the happiness and the tools to be able to do good work, right? And of course, the real purpose of serving someone is not so that I can get something out of it, but so that I will be serving others um, and helping them with their Wilsons, Yeah, right? 
Well, and, and fortunately, you have a, a great platform to be able to do that. So it's, uh, it's pretty amazing and inspiring that you've been uh, put in this position to now be able to share this story and, and help other people along as they deal with their Wilsons, whatever they may be. Yeah, if I wanted, if I if I if I really wanted to know why why did God allow me to have a Wilson, I would say, well, I, I mean, let me say it this way: if if you ask me why do I think He allowed me to have a Wilson, I would say, well, because He knows He knows what I do. <laughs> he decided it's His plan, right? He knows that my I'm I'm going to use this story to go help people with their Wilsons. That's why I went through that worst six months of my entire life was for that purpose, because I'm going to use it just like what we said earlier. When I learned, when you and I were chatting about, about, about the speaking business, whenever I learn something about how to be a better speaker, I've got two responsibilities with it. i got to use it, and then i got to go share it. If I don't, then I shouldn't have gotten that good tip in the first place. Right. Right? Same way with Wilson. All these lessons I had from it. My 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 purpose is to now go and do what God intended for it, which is to use it for the betterment of others. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Well, again, uh, it's just uh, it's good that you're here. It's good that you have uh, made it through all of this. Um, we thank you for coming in and and spending the time and sharing your story uh, with the audience here on the OKC show. Uh, our guest today you. has been uh, Rhett Laubach. You can find out more about him at yournextspeaker.com. That's yournextspeaker.com. You can follow him on Twitter mm-hmm. at Rhett Laubach. You want to spell right. that for him? Yeah. Rhett is R-H-E-T-T. Laubach is L-A-U-B-A-C-H. His popular book that he has written is Leaders in Gear. Can they uh, where can they get that at your website and Yeah, they yeah, yeah, just on the website and leadersingear.com. There's a there's a web home for that. So leadersingear.com, phenomenal book written for folks with short attention spans that want to get some good tips on how to lead others and there's a section in there about presentation skills. Nice. So, yeah. And you uh, also have a presence on uh, Instagram and YouTube, and you can get to all of that by going to yournextspeaker.com. So uh, thank you, Rhett, uh, for coming on the show, sharing your story. Hopefully we'll get you back in sometime and talk about some other stuff. Absolutely my honor. Thank you. And I love the work that you're doing and all the great stories that you're sharing and that you're providing space for people to share. So I appreciate you, brother. Thank oh, you. Thank you very much. All right. You've been listening to the OKC Show. I'm Jason Baffrey. Remember, you can uh, download us on iTunes and uh, go to oklahomatalking.co to listen to more. This week's show has been brought to you by okmerch.com. If you're into local music, you definitely want to visit okmerch.com. It was started by a local musician to help other bands and musicians. You can find CDs, vinyl, digital downloads, t-shirts, stickers, and a whole lot more from all of your favorite local bands. Visit okmerch.com and use the promo code OKCSHOW to receive a special offer. The OKC Show is a production of Destiny Creative.